Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is July 17, 2022, and we are living in an extraordinary season of our church's history. We are experiencing a unification in this body that is greater than ever before. Buzzword. Wider roads are being established between the churches of the One Association. We are doing this both domestically and internationally. We are anxiously anticipating the gathering of all those churches in the One Association this year in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. You guys excited about that? Yes. Well, it's good to be part of the family of God, both here yeah. and throughout the whole One Association of Churches. I want to let you know, LCM, you showed an overwhelming response to last Sunday's message yeah. by voluntarily giving your finances to see the foundation that has been laid brought to completion. You have joined us in the sacrifice and answer the call to forego your own security and build the sacred by financially laying it all on the line again for the continuation and the completion of the work. In every aspect, we are a body that is building itself up in love as each part is doing its work. its work. Your devotion to our way of life, our teaching, the vision is seen in the way that you have been setting a table. Whoa. You guys remember that? Yeah. You've been opening in your homes, opening up your lives, your family, ministering to other families within this body. And as one body, we are progressing towards the goal given to us at the beginning of this year mm -hmm. so that we can be armed and ready to then go out and reach the nations. So this was the direction given to us by the Lord just six months ago. And church, you have been devoted to putting it into practice. Yeah. Do you know July 2nd was the exact middle of the year, the 183rd day? We are just past the exact halfway point, point in this year. So I want you to reflect on your walk with the Lord just the past six months yeah. and compare it to where you are now. Think about how far we've come. Your walk with Christ is more competent and bearing more fruit now than it was then. How do I know? I'm looking at it with my own eyes. Amen. I don't need a theological argument to say we are spiritually, hypothetically growing. We see the fruit in your life. Your unity in your homes is greater now. Your unity in your teams is stronger than ever. Not just stronger, but some of you at the beginning of the years didn't even op operate in a team. So you've been growing since January. Adonai in his sovereignty has prepared and provided for us everything we need for life and godliness. Church, you have everything you need to thrive in the kingdom. Everything you need to thrive in this house. LCM, you've been amply supplied. You have supernatural provision. You've demonstrated the giving of your lives, not as an obligation, but as a voluntary offering to this body. Yeah. What's more is that you've done this courageously, yep. and you've done it consistently, time and time again, without losing intensity in your devotion. Church, this is commendable before God. Church, you're not lacking you're not wanting anymore. You are winning. Amen. Remember, at the beginning of the year, that we shared with you from Psalm 23 and gave you a new depth to the meaning of the word want. And Pastor Piro is going to help us out. 
Oh, y'all need some help remembering? I do. All right, so we got something to jog your memory. Let's put jog up it. this slide. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You remember this word want sounds very much like you already have everything that you need. Whoa. So look at this slide. This is true for then in January, and it's even more true now. Yeah. You shall not lack. You shall not run dry. You shall not be less than. You shall not go down. You shall not continue to recede. You shall not have too little. You shall not go hungry. Hungry. You shall not lack sense. Praise yes. God for <laughs> that. I needed that one. It's the reminder that you already have everything that you need. That was true in the past, and that is true currently in the present. What a comfort this church can take in the sovereignty of Adonai. As we look back at the way he has led us through each step of this year. Saints, he will not let you remain in want. When we were reading this slide last night, I raised my hands to heaven. And I was like, Lord, I am the funnel. You are the rain. <laughs> I don't want to lack sense. And your word says that I won't. You actually have everything you, you need. And we wouldn't be telling you that if we didn't think you needed to hear it again. You know, there was a time in my life when I was lacking. When I was dry. When I was receding. I was drowning. I was scared. I was parched. And willfully dwelling in a desert on my own. But. Say but. But. <laughs> gotcha. God's sovereignty brought me to this body. Amen. Church, this is going to be a special day because when God brought me to the church and I met all you crazy charismatics, that was seven years ago tomorrow. And what a journey that's been. Yeah. We have a photo just to, to recollect and remember just how far we've come. So... Wait, wait, wait. As you can see, discipleship involves an impartation, right? And over the course of seven years, I have imparted all the hair on my head to Peyton's face. Both imparted it to my face, and I believe I caused a little bit of male pattern baldness no, in his life. No, 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 no. But Pastor Piero is a man who gives all for the kingdom. So I came into the church seven years ago, and Judah and Sasha had just gotten married. And we were invited and we accepted the invitation. I had never, never seen anything like what I saw at Judah and Sasha's wedding. There was prophecy. There was an actual yeah. unity. There was a move of the spirit. And I just had not been in that environment, but I knew I wanted it. And when I chose that I want to follow Christ, I want to be a part of this body. I had to leave all that I thought was important. Yeah. Some of you know I had to depart from my family. I had to leave jobs. I had to leave comforts, careers, hobbies, even the desires of my own heart, even things that I had poured my soul into that seemed noble and that I actually believed were God. I had to give those up. I even had to give up my own opinion about things. I wanted to be adopted into this house. I wanted to adopt everything that was in this house that was already here before I showed up. I did not consider the details of my previous worldly life worthy of being brought into this house. Yeah. 
So what did I do? I left my baggage at the door and I walked into this place naked with nothing, bringing nothing to the table, having nothing to offer other than a willing spirit that said, I want to be a son of this house. And that's all I know at this point. But here I see the sacrifices that it took in church. I don't regret one of them. I don't regret one of them. Getting to see the fruit of those sacrifices, like standing up here with the man who took me into his house and now preaching the gospel with him. Getting to see that fruit is pretty cool, but honestly, I had no idea that they would lead to this. All I knew is I wanted something in this house. I wanted to be a part, and I was willing to give everything I had for it. And I simply gave myself to it, and I trusted God to let it grow. Are you catching that? I did not know that it would produce this. I knew there were good things in store because I saw the fruit of the house. In retrospect, I remember just feeling the presence of God, but honestly being too inexperienced to know what to do with it. I remember sitting in a pool with Justin Treister and Nick Aragina, and they were sharing with me the word, and I felt the presence of God, and I had no idea what to do with it. To be honest, the most prominent magnetic force drawing me to this body seven years ago wasn't a hyper-spiritual experience with the presence of God. That was an aspect of it. But what I physically saw was a group of people who sincerely loved each other. I saw your lives and actions, and I wanted to be a part. Consider that what you do in fellowship might be the very thing that draws someone who is hungry in the Lord to this body. And you never know what they might become. But what you can do is set a table for them to come and join you out. Amen. Look, can we all testify that Peyton gave up all he had to obtain all of who we are? He's been adopted as a son, but has become a true son of this house. He saw in this body the very same things that you saw within this body and church. A family in this church that was worthy to be called to by the king. Worthy to be joined to. One that is founded on devotion to God's word. One that demonstrates a genuine love towards one another. One that makes every effort to reach unity and a body that is determined to make disciples that are sent into the nations. You, saints of LCM, are men and women who are willing to give up their lives for the king. Yeah. The king who is worthy. And that is what makes you worthy of others joining you in this body. This is the standard of God's kingdom. It is the standard for this church and the church in the book of Acts. That takes us to the title of today's message. And that title is Worthy. Everybody say worthy as you turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. Worthy. Church, this is 2 Thessalonians 1, picking up in verse 3. We are always to thank God for you, brothers or LCM, and rightly so, because your, your faith is growing more and more. Yeah. And, the love, uh, uh, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy. Someone say worthy. Worthy. 
worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Church, like Matt, myself, the other pastors and elders, each one of you were led here by God's sovereign hand for the purpose of being developed and prepared for your works of service in the kingdom. That's the reason he drew you here. Your devotion to the word, the apostles' teachings, our way of life and discipleship, it is aimed at you becoming like your teachers and expanding the gospel so that the work will not stop. It will not stop with our generation or the generation coming after us. The trajectory, though, of this body, it is aimed at being counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Somebody... Somebody in this house shout worthy. Worthy. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 11 now, Matthew 10. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there. And stay at his house until you leave. So what we see here is there is the scriptural precedent found in Matthew 10 that has been a fundamental principle of this church. It is what has established us as a church. It is our standard for every effort made to advance the kingdom since day one. So whether it be in the first years of establishing this church here in Sugarland or international mission trips to bring who we are to the nations, our adherence to Matthew 10 is what has produced fruitful ministry domestically and abroad. Yeah. So we want to work with this a little bit. You know, please don't just use your familiarity to estimate where exactly we're going to go. We want to emphasize the importance of this principle that has built this house and that will continue to build this house. The requirement to search for a worthy person is that you must first be a worthy person. The requirement to search for a worthy person is first to be a worthy person. So let's think about the disciples who are being sent out here. They were taken in. They were attached. They were lavished by Jesus himself. They were being given the model of how to implement his way of life. They were not to go go out and figure out their own method of preaching the gospel. Their own alternative to the model that was shown to them. They were being directed by Jesus on how he wanted them to initiate the work of the Father. The very work that the Father has prepared in advance for them to do. Come on. What do we have before us? We have work that our Father has prepared in advance for us to do. So choosing any alternative... To his model, what he's given us, means that it will cause us to miss the mark of accomplishing that future work. This was the only way they could truly magnify the kingdom of God. Bringing an exponential increase to lives, being born again and set in right order. Isn't that our heart? Isn't that your heart? Yes. That what you have experienced here, you want. Others that are dying out there to have the same experience. Where there is a very clear model that Jesus has laid out here in Matthew 10. Did you notice that he instructed them to stay at the home of the man that was worthy? 
not to bounce from house to house. Christ was the one who gave the guidelines of what determined the man to be worthy. Not the disciples themselves, not by their feelings, not by their friendships or associations. It was Christ's standards that determined if that man was worthy. That's a good word. It was the man who received the disciples' shalom. The man who welcomed the disciples, giving their right order with God and man to him. That's what made him worthy. But realize something. Realize that meant that the disciples had to have shalom in order to find a man worthy of receiving their shalom. You see, you cannot detect and distribute what you yourself do not have. Wow. The disciples could not detect and distribute what they did not have, and neither can we. You can't bring a, a false plastic and pretend substance of shalom and then whine and cry, oh, why you don't have real fruit. Why are we pressing so hard and, and pursuing a constant increase in shalom? Because we have to have the real substance of God to give to those that we interact with. If we don't have that real substance of God, then what are we working for? I can tell you we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're not going to sit back and just count all of our previous accomplishments as deeds done and therefore we do no more. It is the call of God for us to grow and increase shalom as our foundation. Increase a substance that we have to actually bring to the nations, but more importantly what we bring to each other. The fundamental principle of ministry that has been the cornerstone of this church is that a home with shalom is worthy to have ministry flow from it. Yeah. Why have we gone through all the fundamentals for the past couple of years? Because our God has led us in the means of establishing homes that are worthy for ministry to flow from it. This is true both for those that are extending shalom and the ones that are receiving it. Wow. Church, we have already gained so much ground. We are so proud of you. But as Pastor Piro said, we don't want to set back on our laurels. What we're doing today is saying, come on, let's keep going. Let's keep pushing forward. We're going to circle back to Matthew 10, and we're going to pick up in verse 12. Matthew 10 is like a stroll down memory lane for me because it is one of the first principles I learned when I came to LCM. I had to learn how to stand on my new convictions. Yeah. And I'm still growing in that every day. I'm still learning new facets of it that I didn't see before. Can you believe that I still have blind spots? Areas that I have grown over seven years, but after seven years of growth, I can find areas of basic principles that I have not yet mastered. Me too. Well, praise God. We get to grow, and God has put us in a closer unity so that we can see each other's, uh, our blind spots, the areas where we have not got this right, yes. which is why we're coming back to it today to remind you of how far we've come. But this was one of the basic principles I learned. It cost me everything once I understood it, and now I'm learning how to master it and keep, keep my employment. 
Matthew 10, picking up in verse 12. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, then let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave it when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment Woo. than for that town. Wow. I just want to highlight something that's really interesting. Some people think, oh, I have shalom and I can just give it wherever and just leave it. Here, it seems that shalom is something that you can set down and take back up. We need to be careful where we leave our shalom laying around, right? <laughs> but we're going to focus on as you enter. As you enter, church, the first thing you do is give the members of that one home your greeting of shalom by saying, how is your peace? Yes. Right order. How is your right order with God and man? That's what you do as you enter. If it is evident that they are deserving, you are to let that right order with God and man rest on that home. Pretty simple, right? Yep. Then your time in that home cannot be based on fun activities or hobbies or just common interest. It can't be about familial ties or be centered around surface conversations. And it cannot be riddled with suggestions and Christian generalities of God's right order. You are to let your shalom be the topic and purpose of interaction. Amen. With all your time, we have to pay more careful attention of how we are interacting with the world. Still learning this with my family. I'm learning it in my workplace. I have to let my shalom either rest or return to me, even when I'm in a sales appointment with an unbeliever. And I cannot be seduced away into agreeing with them on a Christian generality and giving tacit approval to their life that will end in them eternally damned. We have to grow up. Amen. Church, you remember that James 4.4 says that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Might be good to go through your Rolodex and see who your friends are. If your best friend is outside of this body, what have they actually done to pour into your marriage, your friendship, your home, your life? That's what a friend is, not someone you have a common interest with. Church, we are in the world. We are not of the world. But what this does is it requires a sharpening of your standards of who is worthy and who is not. We are not to have the same bond of fellowship with a person or home that is undeserving as we do with a worthy man or home that is showing actionable steps to actually receiving God's right order. Those are two different things. One who does not want God's right order and you're trying to force it upon them. And one who is trying and maybe not doing the best, but they are showing actionable steps. Those relationships are different. One receives your shalom. The other one has you take it from them. Just to be clear, the one who is receiving your shalom is the one that is actually taking action yeah. to put it into practice. So let's dig into this a little bit deeper. What really qualifies a home or person that is deserving? Deserving of your efforts, deserving of your attention. What's well, one that is welcoming your right order with God and man and they listen? Wow. That's what the passage said in Matthew 10. They welcome and they listen. Meaning that 
they actually put into practice your words, directing them how to establish the foundation of shalom in their home. So let's make sure we get this all clear. Listening is not just a reception of auditory sounds through the ears and a nodding of the head up and down. Listening is not just being silent or mildly agreeable as opposed to being hostile and vile towards you. Listening is actually putting into practice. Listening is putting feet to faith and someone who hungers and thirsts for shalom. Think about your first encounter here at LCM. At some point, your heart was pierced. You were drawn in by that magnetism of unity and fellowship in God's presence. But there came a pivotal point where a truth coming from this pulpit or a personal conversation struck your heart. And you knew that you could no longer live the way that you had been living. Something had to change right then and right there. And you made a decision to begin to put it into practice. That's when it shows that you were a worthy and deserving man or woman of God. Because you actually began to do it. So here's some further insight. Further insight that I need you guys to really grasp and consider. Do you guys love your pastors and elders? Yes. Do you esteem them and honor them? Do you value the words they speak to you and want to model your lives after them? Do you think that everyone that you come in contact needs what your leaders have to give? If your family or friends want nothing to do with your pastors in this body, but just want to spend time around you, what does that reveal about them? Not worthy. Your pastors in this body are what has built you into what you are today. These undeserving family members and fringe of the faith friends, they just want the benefits of your discipleship without having actually gone through the devotion that you have to get it. So what are you really giving them whenever you're appeasing their desire? To pull you aside and yet reject the very source of what has made you who you are. Rejection of your shalom and your words designates that home or person as undeserving of your continued efforts. The very dust from that home or town is not worthy enough to be existing on the soles of your feet. It's quiet. that good though i can testify that this has saved me from so many toxic and harmful relationships the righteous and immovable standard of christ will cause you to have to walk away from relationships leaving the dust behind you in order to remain steadfast to the calling you have received i don't remember really struggling later on in my walk with christ with my family because I, I, was, I was taught well, 
I fought to be where I was. I sacrificed to be where I was. But that doesn't mean I didn't wrestle with the reality of like, well, was it really worth it? No, it was worth it. But I remember that I did fight to be here and I wasn't willing to just give it up flippantly because someone else had an opinion about my discipleship. Church, what we're, we are not speaking about avoiding the lost. Right. You guys understand yeah. that? Yeah. We're not saying avoid the lost. We're talking about running the risk of entertaining the lost and calling it evangelism. Yeah. God's heart, our heart is to seek and save the lost, but it must be done according to the standard that God set from the beginning, which Jesus laid out in Matthew 10. He gave us the standard for it. He makes it clear that if we, they do not receive your peace or listen to your words, then it is to return to you, and you get to go on searching for those who do want to hear it. You get yeah. to go on searching for those who are worthy of it, who are saying, I will die to have what you have. Yeah. Man, that's so different than someone who wants to be friendly with you, receive the benefits of your discipleship, but do not want to live or be devoted the way that you were to attain it. Yeah. Leave your shalom or take your shalom back and go find someone who is worthy. Amen. Our goal, church, is to keep the momentum of our devotion and grow as a church going and making sure that we are continuing to build on the foundation correctly while remaining faithful to the fundamentals, say fundamentals, fundamentals. that have made us who we are today. Amen. It is a biblical certainty that when you are increasing your efforts to be in shalom, you will find direct opposition to establishing it. Yeah. You'll find direct resistance to extending it to other people. But you know what we are, saints? You know who we is? Who is we? We are peacemakers and not peacekeepers. Come on. The UN can have those. The fundamentals that we are reviving today are the standards of God that will keep you from being bribed, intimidated, or seduced from the daily implementation of the undeniable truths of Scripture. Look, this is not a new concept to you, but it did seem pertinent that we revisit it this morning in light of yeah. the great door of effective work ahead of us in the future. It is what we are all sowing our lives into to see completed. We want to stir you up by way of reminder as we encourage this flock to keep fanning into flame the gift of God that, that lives in you. Let us stir you up with 2 Peter 1, picking up in verse 10, which says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your success is certain, LCM. It is certain you will be richly provided with opportunities to put your convictions on display for the glory of God and finish your life being worthy of joining men like Abraham, Moses, yeah. Joshua, and yeah. Peter. But let's go on to verse 12. Verse 12. I can't stop about thinking, sitting down with Abraham, Moses, Joshua, and Peter. Yeah, what, did, what did you do? What did you give up for the gospel? <laughs> okay, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, 
I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So look, even Peter needed to remind the saints to remain faithful to the fundamentals set by the undeniable truths of Scripture. His sentiment towards the saints of his day are our sentiments towards you today as well. You know the fundamentals that have built this house. You know the very things and foundational elements that have restored your lives, and it is evident that you are established in truth, the truth of what we have taught and the very things that we have demonstrated. As long as your pastors and elders are with you, we want to stir you up to remind you that you are men and women who have proven worthy to be part of this body. Worthy of being entrusted with the things of God. You are worthy of our continual efforts to fully equip you and your children for the future. Come on. You know, the most long-standing sign in this church, as well as the most studied by me, is hanging on the face of the sound booth. It says, perform out there what you practice in here. For the past six months, we've been reminding you of the fundamentals of what to practice and hear so you are successful to perform out there. This ensures that shalom starts with all of us, giving us the worthy substance to offer a worthy recipient. We are laboring daily for every member of this church to be fully mature sons and daughters of this house, capable of producing a harvest of righteousness because you have been trained by fathers in the faith. Church, I have been fortunate, just like you, to have pastors. But it's really hard sometimes to view Pastor Wade, Pastor Eric, Pastor Matt as pastors. They really are fathers to me. They are are everything that a father should have been for me and everything that a father should be as as a grown man, as, as directing a fully grown man how to become mature and competent in Christ. They trained me from infancy in Christ. And what did they do? They pushed me to rep fundamentals over and over and over again. You know, there's, there's a funny thing about fundamentals. Everyone thinks they understand them until you make them practice them. And then you find out they actually have no fundamentals. They have generalities. There's a story that Adam Cora always tells me about a coach. And I cannot remember his name. But it was brought back to mind. So I'm going to share it because I have the mic. There's a coach who has won more national championships than any other coach in a, in a 10-year time frame. And the very first thing that he does with these professional athletes, these elite athletes, is he teaches them fundamentals. Not fundamentals like, here's how you dribble a basketball. Like, sit down. This is how you put your socks on. This is how you put your shoes on. This is how you fix your hair. This is how you present yourself. Then they move on to other fundamentals. My father's which some call pastors, but I call them fathers. They taught me how to rep fundamentals. And was it challenging at times for me? Well, yes, of course it was challenging, but mostly when I was being wayward, which is just spiritual verbiage for being airheaded, for being arrogant, for being dumb. But what they did is they saw a desire for righteousness and they considered me, Me, of being worthy of laying down their lives for. Man, and I've been all the better for it. 
They denied themselves for me. They laid down their lives for my family. Eternally grateful for it. When I saw the sacrifice that they were making for me, I stopped kicking against them and I started walking beside them. And they showed me how to take up my cross daily and they fought to make sure that my, my knees did not give way under the weight that I was carrying. But now, it's my call, my deepest desire to do the same for you, church. Implementing the standard that Jesus gave us in Luke 9, verse 23. It says, then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You guys are familiar with this verse, right? This is another fundamental of what discipleship looks like. I just want to comment on a few things about who we are as a church in relation to discipleship. Have you benefited from the fatherly voices that have spoken in your life, pushing you further than what you thought you could go? Yeah. Look, let's be honest. I, th I think I've heard this from every single person's mouth after some time of being at LCM. They said the pace and schedule of life that you guys keep, that we keep, is light speed. I can barely catch my breath, but soon I began to realize how much of my life and time I wasted before I got here. That who you are right now is so farther along in maturity and competency and capacity than you've ever been. You now have the understanding. You now have the confidence of what you can actually achieve in any given day or week. Think about what we accomplish as a church. As everybody's sitting here right now, what we accomplish as a church in one week. It's what I couldn't achieve in one year of my life before I got to LCM. Yeah. There's a lot of life that's happening here. So why is it that we are constantly challenging you to do more, to produce more, to sacrifice more, to give up all of your life? It's because we want you to see the fruit of eternal reward that is at stake. It's not just the temporal reward of hearing our father say, yes, that's, that's what I want you to do. But that voice from our Father is securing an eternal reward that will mark and define who we are for the rest of time. You see value. You see worth in who we are as a body. That's why you've committed all of your life to be a part of who we are. And without you, we are not a complete body. I want you to realize that. Without you, we're incomplete. And the things that we are warring against on a constant basis are the seeds of division, the seeds of disunity, the seeds of apathy, and just withdrawing while thinking you're still apart. So all of our efforts are geared at saying, come on, let's unify even more. Come on, let's go to war together. Let, come on, let's build shalom and go find that man of peace. Let's bring the souls that are in need, what we have, and bring them in here. Join them to this body because the voice of our Father is calling out to them. With a very simple act of obedience, 
I watched how the transformational process of Ray Pena reached out Come on, Ray. and began to share the good news of his own transformation. He had shalom. He had right order with God. It was establishing in his own life, and he had substance to give to Rhett Phillips. And by giving that substance to a man that was worthy and deserving of Ray's attention, immediately Rhett jumped in this house and became a part of our family. Six months ago, when God was giving us the three-year directive of where we're going, Rhett was still a single man. Yeah. But he is no longer. No longer. But you realize, if you ever heard Ray Pena's testimony, it required something of Ray. It required the basic fundamentals of Luke 9.23. Ray, did we consistently and persistently charge you to deny yourself? Did we constantly kick you in the rear end to take up your cross and bear it daily? <laughs> did we take you by the hand and demand that you come follow us as we follow Christ and look at what it's produced come on you need to be able to tell those that admire your life but yet reject the source of where you got it from you want to do what I do but you do not want to do what I have done You want to have the same fruit and the foundation of shalom in your home. Come on, be a man and step up to the plate and come join me where I'm at. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the cliff notes and crumbs of what I've received from my disciples. I'm going to make a call and demand for you to step up and come be where I am. In that way, you remain a man or woman that is worthy and deserving of the shalom that has built you. Come on, we're not going to build compromisers in this house. That's right. We're going to build men and women who are confident and competent to hold the line of shalom that God has established. To deny yourself is DCD. It's to not care a damn. Yeah, exactly, Lincoln. And it's the first step of the call of discipleship. You know what denying yourself really looks like? I mean, in practical application and in word study. It's to reject. It's to throw away with force. So think about your discipleship here. How many times have you had to throw away and reject your own thoughts about you? To reject your own feelings and emotions that range from pride all the way down to the depths of despair. How many times have you had to kick to the curb and across the street your own will, ambitions, and desires? I just caught a glimpse of Juan Grimaldo. Yeah. I remember when I first met him. He was across the street at Pastor Wade and at that time... Pastor Eric's house. He came over. Gregarious guy. Full of life, man. But he was as chaotic in mind as I've ever seen somebody. Not anymore. Not anymore. 
what was once a chaos of speech and a complete disorder of life is a life that is continually experiencing increasing shalom, putting him in yes. right order, a foundation that a home can be built on. Amen. We're sharing all this as a commendation to your efforts, LCM. You're the most sacrificial, all-in, worthy believers we know. Yeah. As we encourage and commend your faith, we would be remiss if we did not leave you with a challenge to continue to press on and daily crucify worthless and carnal endeavors and push forward to follow our Messiah in every moment. Yeah. Church, let's keep going in verse 24. It says, for whoever wants to save his life will, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? You can look to your left and right in this room. And what you will see are those who have lost their life for the sake of Christ. Who have not tried to save their own welfare but given it up willingly. Everyone, every family in here is sacrificed to be here. The ones who are truly devoted to discipleship have sacrificed to take up discipleship. Yeah. Their pursuits of worldly exploits have died with their newfound devotion to Christ. Our cry sounds much like the Moravians. May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. I consider my life and my ambitions nothing compared to what is ahead of me. So may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering, which is the nations. And the nations are full of worthy ones who dared to follow Christ. That's what makes up Christ's inheritance are the ones he said were worthy. And the ones who said, I consider it worthy and I give my life for it. Amen. But let's move on to verse 26. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, there's that pairing again. Ashamed of me and my words. The son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in glory. And in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. So we want to encourage you. We in this house are raising up men and women who are not ashamed to be identified with Christ. Men and women who will unashamedly echo the truths of God's word in any and every circumstance. A church body who are willing to endure shame, disgrace, loss, fire, flames, persecution, all yeah. for the glory of Jesus, because he is worthy of our entire lives. Come on. But we got a little bit of objection handling to cover. It's about these glorious truths. Peyton, take us away. We're going to jump to Jeremiah, and we're going to pick up in verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. Jeremiah 1, verse 7. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Yeah. The phrase, I am only dot, dot, dot. You fill in your phrase about yourself. I'm only just a young man. Or maybe I'm only just an old man. Church, do not say, I lack you know that you already have what you need. Every. Do not self-deprecate yourself because you can justify a situation that says it disqualifies you. God qualifies you and stop saying that you are not capable of carrying out his will. Your worthy response is to speak what he said. 
the very words he's put in your mouth. Nothing more and nothing less, with nothing added to it. Verse 8 says, do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Verse 9, then the Lord put his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Fear, church, of the what if will kill your confidence to be his spokesman. The what if. Well, what if they get mad? Or what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Or what if they bring up the past? Those things kill your confidence to be his spokesman. If he has given you his word, then you proclaim his word and you let his word be sufficient. Because you believe and know in faith that it is worthy. And if people do not want to accept it, then they don't have a problem with you. They have a problem with the word of God. The Father's directing of our speech is what gives us immovable confidence that will bring shalom in any circumstance of chaos. First practicing it in here so that we can perform it out there. An immovable confidence will bring shalom in any circumstance. If you think that we are lying for you, you should try it for yourself. Have you remained immovable to the point of someone wanting to physically harm you? Or physically reject you and throw you out of their house? Or have you caved just before there was breakthrough? Promise you it will bring shalom. It'll at least create a dividing line. One of the first lessons, along with Matthew 10, that I learned, when you are sharing the word, you commit people to a position. You cannot commit someone to a position that you yourself are not committed to holding. So the hand of God touching our mouth, our speech is what will cause effective ministry, bringing in a harvest of righteousness in the midst of increasing persecution and deceptive pulling of your heartstrings to cave in and compromise his word of truth. Man, this happens so subtly. Pulls at your heartstrings. People get you to agree with them on some point until you begin accepting all of who they are. But when you have his word in your mouth and an immovable standard, you say this is the shalom I have. And this is what it requires of you if you choose to follow. And if there is not actionable steps, then they have rejected. They have rejected what you bring to the table. And you don't need to be deterred by their opinions anymore. You can receive your peace back. I think that's freeing. So we all have testimonies to tell. We have truths that will set men free. Brett Phillips' testimony is a testimony that will set men free. Ray Pena's testimony is a testimony that will set men free. Andrew Hayes' testimony is a testimony that will set men free. Come on. Everyone. Everyone's testimony is so supernatural, it contains the power of God at work in a, in a heart that chose to say, Christ is worthy and I want to give him my life and this is what it produced. And he'll do the same for you if you trust him. But let's go back to Jeremiah. So have you ever dealt with an obstinate and stubborn person before? Yes. It's kind of an open-ended question. No, no, I'm not talking about dealing with yourself. I'm talking about somebody else. Yeah. So maybe the first time it's, it's aggravating. You put forth the effort, try to establish shalom, it doesn't happen. But what happens over the course of time when you keep trying and yet 
it's not successful. Jeremiah is in that position. Jeremiah was a young man who needed the encouragement of his father. And after many years of declaring God's word to a stubborn and obstinate people, Jeremiah became discouraged. And yet he was unaware of what exactly he was doing wrong. So let's all turn to Jeremiah 15 to hear his recounting of God's of being God's ambassador. Say worthy as you're turning. We're going to be in Jeremiah 15 and start in verse 15. Picking up in verse 15, you understand, O Lord, remember me and care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me, and you filled me with indignation, my pain unending. Why was my pain unending, and my wound grievous and incurable? Will you be to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails? Jeremiah is wrestling with feelings that God has failed, that his sacrifice was not worth it. As I talk about Jeremiah, consider maybe some of the thoughts that you've been wrestling with, that maybe your sacrifice was not worth it, that you're in over your head and there's no way out, that everything you've poured in will not give a return of what you had hoped it would bring. This is not working is a question you ask yourself. I keep trying and it's not working. I feel like a failure. And what you're really saying is that you feel like God has failed you. Church, Sunday was a raving success and a testimony to the faithfulness of this body, period. It was a move of God and nothing else. But the first thing our flesh will want to do is doubt that the Lord will sustain us after such a sacrifice. Our flesh will make us question if it was worth it. Our flesh will rise up in frustration in the face of selfless faith. And it will try to diminish the sanctity of the sacrifice. It'll even go so far to try to cre create division between members of households. It, our flesh really is kind of relentless. Yeah. We're trying to do something amazing for God that he moved on our heart to do. And our flesh wants to make it less holy. Wants to convince you that it wasn't worth it. That it's not going to do what you thought telling you those are lies. It's why we're sharing that with you. Our flesh will do anything to detract from the reality of the event, which was that we need each other. That we need each other to complete the work Christ has called us to. And he is worthy of every sacrifice. Do not let your flesh Amen. take that from you. He was worthy of the sacrifice. We considered it worthy and we gave that all for it. Our king is worth it. This church is worth it. Our brothers are worth it. And the one association is worth it. Amen. Our speech must be grounded in the worthiness of what is eternal. And that will result in increasing homes, teams that are worthy of the gospel. All right, so everybody look at me. Do you want to be worthy? 
Yeah. Do you want to give what is worthy? Yes. Are you willing to do what it takes to acquire? Yes. Amen. Let's read verse 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent. And just stop right there. If you repent. What Peyton just read is Jeremiah's cry. And Jeremiah's cry is a recounting of, Lord, I am doing exactly what you told me to do. I'm saying exactly what you told me to say. I have indignation. I ate your words. They were my delight, the joy of my heart. But why are you failing me? Why are you a deceptive brook like a spring that has failed? I'm running dry. I'm doing everything right. And it's your fault. And the first thing that God says to him, if you repent. If you were Jeremiah, and I'm sure you have been like him in that position. Yeah. If you were Jeremiah and you heard those words. It would get your immediate attention. Your immediate attention that how blind and unaware you have been of what's really been going on that has caused that dryness and that desert and parched-like areas. But it's a grace. It's a mercy that God said that to His Son first. It's a call to come closer. Turn away from what you are doing. And the promise is, if you repent, I will restore you. The more literal way of saying restore is that I will bring you back to my face again. Yeah. You know what Jeremiah was feeling? He was feeling a distance between he and his father. And he thought it was his father's fault, but it was his own. That's the mercy. That's the love of God. That's what makes us get our lives back in shalom. You begin to feel that distance. I don't hear his voice as clear anymore. I don't feel his presence. His words not coming alive as it once was. Lord, maybe you put too much on my shoulders and are demanding too much of me. And I just need a little less weight and responsibility. If you repent, I will restore you. That you may serve me. That you may be a worthy servant of my name and accomplish what I've called you to do. This is the call for us today, church. It's what comes next right after these words. If you utter worthy, not worthless words. If you utter worthy and not worthless words words, you will be my spokesman. Remember we said that the disciples nor us can detect or distribute what we do not have. This is what the Father is correcting in Jeremiah. He's getting him to repent and recognize what has been the problem the whole time is that he has been speaking worthless words while thinking he's been speaking worthy 
words. It's coupled with something that's really important. It is part of the reason why we're preaching this morning. In addition to speaking worthy and not worthless words, he is telling his son, let this people turn to you. But you must not turn to them. You must not turn to them. See, we can want and desire and hope for salvation for those that reject the shalom of God in our lives so bad that we will run outside of the covering of God to try to go give it to them. And that defiles the shalom of God. We cannot. We stand underneath the talit, underneath the commands of God that define who we are. The shalom is our foundation, and we call out for them to come to where we are. That's why you're here. You're here because we made a clear call for you to turn towards us. We did not continually hunt you down while you stiff-armed us in the face. And look at what it's produced in you. Jeremiah is being rebuked for deviating from the fundamentals. He's rebuked for altering the word put in his mouth. He is softening it with sympathy, padding it with his own compassion. Because he was not confident in what the word of the Lord alone would produce. He's rebuked for compromising when all he needed to do was to be courageous. To deny himself, take up his cross and follow. Jeremiah needs to repent of worthless speech. Speech that misrepresents God, his character, his body work, his name. And speak worthy words that come from a position of being in shalom. The NASB and the LXX quote or interprets worthy, not worthless words as extract the precious from the vile. If you've been in foundations in the time that we were studying Jeremiah 15, we covered this. There's a slide to extract the precious from the vile. Here's how we do it. Church. We must rid our speech of vile contaminants that corrupt the outcome God desires. Your continual efforts to minister to those who reject shalom have been fruitless because you have uttered speech that God did not give you. It has not been effectual because your words have lessened the truth and thereby alleviated your hearers of the weight of their true state. Yeah. If they do not receive your peace, then let it return to you and go about searching for those that are actually deserving and worthy of it. Let's highlight the phrase, let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. Turning to them only compounds the problem they have. Your continual pursuit towards them has given them temporal affirmation of their state and that there is no actual step of response needed. It's a responseless gospel. If they truly find worth in who we are, then they will give all to come where you are. Letting them come to you is the solution to their absence of shalom. So show some holy chutzpah to be unashamed about the worthiness of where God has shaped and formed you. 
Think about your own life and how you got to where you are now. Was it because someone kept giving you the crumbs of our way of life? Or was it because they inspired you to deny yourself? I would say it's the latter. Because they taught you how to take up your cross and follow as you follow Christ. And it's what we do for those who we are sharing the word with, sharing the gospel with. Come and follow me as I follow Christ. You've experienced the reward of giving all for the sake of Christ. Giving all to discipleship. Giving your all to complete the work. If you want them to have the same joy and reward of giving all as you have, then demand that they do what you have done. When you think of letting those in need of truth turn to you, when you think about letting them turn to you, you need to consider that this does not mean that you sit back and you never step out to share the gospel. What we're describing is not lowering our worthy position to have quaint discussions with pseudo-followers who constantly reject the shalom and the words of Christ. We don't want to just have Christian discussions, but we want to have a presentation of the powerful gospel of Christ. We are searching for those who want Christ, who want truth, and who are willing to die for it, sacrifice for it, just like we are. Our hope is that you, LCM, will leave here today knowing that you are worthy and knowing that Christ will empower you with the boldness to fearlessly proclaim the gospel to your family, to your co-workers, and the people that you pass through or pass by throughout the day, and also among the nations that Adonai is going to send us to. It's why we look at this map. We are aimed at a specific area and proclaiming the full gospel to them without compromise, without letting up an inch, but demanding that they follow and sacrifice the way that we have because it's the only way to produce mature men and women in Christ. We can't have a halfway Christianity. That's like having halfway salvation or kind of, kind of getting something right. We want fullness holiness, perfection. Church, we will not compromise in the fundamentals of the faith. We will not be bribed, intimidated, or seduced away from the undeniable truths of Scripture. As one body who is devoted to proclaiming the gospel, we will be an immovable standard to the lost and dying world around us and refuse, say refuse, refuse to give any tacit approval or let our standard drop in any situation, any conversation, in anything that may come our way. Are you guys still in Jeremiah 15? Yeah. Hold your place there. I want to read to you Ephesians 6, 19. It's a prayer request that Paul has. And it's going to be what we're going to pray for you today. Ephesians 6, 19 says, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And here it is. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. As I'm reading this, I'm just contemplating. Paul may very well be re- reflecting on Jeremiah's rebuke. 
seeing the call to repent from uttering worthless words and begin to declare worthy words, as I should. Repentance from uttering worthless words and repentance from turning to them is what will bring restoration for the ambassador of God and those that hears the ambassador's words. You really want to see transformation. You really want to see shalom increase in your home, in this church, and those that you interact with. Submit every word to your Father. Come on. Measure. Is this a worthy or worthless word? Is it precious or is it vile? Make every effort to demand that they turn to you and that you don't turn to them. And it, it will ensure something. The reason I had you remain in Jeremiah 15, because after that rebuke, after that highlighting of what Jeremiah was getting wrong that he could not see, there is a promise. There's a promise for him that which he carried out for the rest of his ministry, and there's a promise for us. Jeremiah 15, 20. And I will make you. Oh, come on, let me say it again. I and I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. This is not the first time that God ever declared this to Jeremiah. It was the declaration that he made in chapter 1 when he originally called him. Son, I'm going to bring you back to your mezuzah. I'm going to fortify you and strengthen you to carry out what I originally called you to do. What is God doing in this house? Yes, he's rightly identifying to us how we've been compromising our words that represent him. But the whole purpose is that we repent from it. We see it and we become a fortified wall of bronze. You know what that fortified wall of bronze is? It's the immo- being the immovable standard of God's righteous judgment that cannot be conquered. What may have been once a frail and fragile assembly of bricks is now an immovable standard of God's righteous judgment. Well, if there's one declaration that I want for every member of this house is that they have such deep convictions that speak worthy words and demand a response that they can be known as a fortified wall of bronze. They can't be moved. They can't be budged, bribed, or intimidated, or seduced. Let's begin to stand to our feet. Suppose this word has to come to an end at some point. So we're going to make an effort to do that at this moment. But this is kind of a day worth celebrating. Seven years of the most glorious things a man can ask for. The most amazing fathers that a son could be given. The most amazing friends and ministry partners that anyone could have. Most amazing family. Do you know that you are my family? Amen. You are all I have. If I don't have, if I don't have you, I, ha- I have nothing. I have n- nothing to go back to. This is everything to me. 
As we've discussed today, we want to remind you that you cannot detect or distribute shalom that you do not have. Today, revive your zeal to boldly set a standard of righteousness in the world. Seek to save the lost, not soothe the lost. Have the fear of confrontation be overcome by the spirit of boldness to fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Was this not some of the first principles you learned when you came to the church? We would study in Acts and they would say that the spirit of God was the spirit of boldness to do what? Go and proclaim the gospel. Come and ask the Lord today to make you like a wall of bronze. Because he will. He'll make you a wall of bronze in some of the most difficult of situations. Ask him to help you stand your ground in the face of mounting opposition in the difficult days ahead. If you're struggling with uttering worthy words, (laughs) you can come and ask him to place his hand over your mouth and he will put his words in your mouth. Jeremiah 15, 19 is the heart and center of what we were preaching and aiming at. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this opportunity to have right measurement before God of our lives, more importantly, our actions and speech. This altar is a place to repent of speaking worthless words. And where you can rise and begin to speak worthy, precious words. Words that have the weight of heaven and shalom inside of them that are effectual in ministering to the world. But hear me, saints. It starts here in this house. It's a requirement that we perform out there what we have practiced in here. Your worthy words are to start in the way that you speak with each other. This past week, there's been grumbling, complaining, fighting, contention, words that are vile before God. This altar is the place to come. Come to have your heart transformed renewed, restored, be honest with God, be honest with yourself, and ask his hand to be placed over your mouth and touch your mouth again, to purify it. Cry out, Lord, give me your worthy words. This is the place to find the strength and the resolution to hold your ground and demand that others come to your shalom. You don't abandon yours to go to them. This altar is a place to find that a moment to put to death that cowardice and find the fortified strength of God to hold the line. As I pray, be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. And let's rise as a fortified body. Jesus, your word is powerful. It is living and active. We thank you for making it clear to us where you stand and where we stand and how we're to be restored, brought back again to your face. But we 
transparently and honestly put our hearts and minds bare before you, bare before ourselves and our brothers and sisters. We are willing to do whatever it takes to be worthy servants called by your name. Come and move by your spirit. Help us as your people. Rise up. Rise up in strength and power to be your ambassadors.